But let's pray together. I'm actually going to be reading a, all from Deuteronomy 8 as part of our prayer, and then we'll pray together because we learn so much from the wilderness experience of God's people about how to address Him and think of Him and think of His mercies in our life. The whole commandment that I command you today shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell those 40 years. Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in the ways and by fearing him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose Stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness, fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And Lord God, we praise you for your gracious choice of us for salvation in Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us as your children, how you supply our needs and more than that, all of our desires and give us a joyful life. We praise you, Lord God, that you are the one who gives us power to produce wealth. It is not within our power. And we ask that you would keep us from the pride of self-sufficiency 
and arrogance. And to give you the praise for the gifts that you give out of your bounty, out of your covenant love that you have laid upon us, out of just your generosity. And we pray this morning that as we look into your word in the gospel according to Luke, that as we read here in verse 3, that we would be reminded that we live by every word of God. And we ask that you would grant us grace and that you would keep us in your word and cause us to continually be filled with joy. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning after my brief hiatus for my uh, surgery. Everything went well. And special thanks to my friend, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who so faithfully preached the word to the congregation over the last couple weeks. I'm very thankful for him and his ministry, as I'm sure you are as well. And I wanted to start off this morning uh, with a public service announcement, actually. And so you know what's coming up shortly in a week or so, summer is here. And that means half of you disappear for half of the weeks, right? We all do that. We all want to get away and have a vacation. So I want to encourage you maybe to do something that you haven't done before, and that is to visit other churches in person. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, it tells us not to forsake the assembly. That doesn't just mean this church. Jesus' church over the world in all communities, and especially in this country, all over the place. So I would really encourage you that when you're on vacation, don't tune in to watch me. Because that's not assembling with the brothers and sisters of the Lord. And so assemble, find a local congregation, and go there and meet some new brothers and sisters in the Lord. I guarantee you, you'll be friends right away. Because the Holy Spirit inhabits his people. And it's a wonderful experience. And enjoy the preaching, enjoy the worship, enjoy the fellowship, and learn and be thankful for what God is doing around the world. I know some of you already do this, but I also know that some of us have not tried it before. So I really want to encourage you to do that. It was something that we made a habit in our family as we raised our kids. Even if we were on a camping trip, we would somehow try to get those six kids cleaned up in the van and show up at some church, that poor church, and wondered who we are and where we came from. But it was always a blessing, and we trust that in the lives of our children, too, that they've come to appreciate just the breadth and the diversity of God's church and what he's doing in the lives of people around the world. We're part of something so much bigger than just ourselves. So I really want to encourage you to do that this summer. Um, you could even think of it as a recon mission, if you'd like to, and come back with some great ideas that we can incorporate here at Calvary as well. Well, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke this morning, in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 38, the famous story that we all know about Mary and Martha. But before we get into it, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that we all know that life can be very demanding. And many of us might consider that normal mode for us, that life just puts a lot of demands on us. We live under a lot of pressures and responsibilities. Some of them uh, we put on ourselves that we don't need to, but they're still there. Uh, other times, they just come upon our lives at God's direction. Our responsibilities can become very consuming very quickly, actually, and very easily if we let them. And likely, we all know this, and we try to fight against it very hard, but sometimes, you know, we're successful, praise the Lord. Sometimes, we're not so successful. But we feel overwhelmed sometimes, and we can start to lose perspective, and if we let that go we can start spiraling downward into 
of burdensome living and a loss of spirituality in our life. But if we can keep a spiritual perspective, we can grow stronger and be more joyful and more successful in the Lord even in the midst of great trials. Now we know as Christians that life's burdens are bearable because the Lord doesn't give us what we can't bear. And we know that we can joyfully fulfill all his purposes that he puts before us, that we can live out a true spirituality according to his word and in God's strength. And it requires from us that we keep a relationship with God very strong through the various means of grace that he provides. And there are many means of grace that he provides, but the primary ones, the non-negotiable ones, are participating in church life, studying the word of God, spending time in prayer, and doing ministry, serving others, serving the gospel to people who don't yet know it. And sadly, sometimes Christians, you know, we let the wrong things go first when life gets hard. And we don't even realize what we're doing. And before we know it, we find ourselves in a place we don't really want to be. But if we can keep our spiritual priorities, we'll keep our perspective. If we compromise our priorities, we're going to lose perspective. And hopefully when that happens, it's a very short-lived experience for you. And we return to real spirituality. But sometimes... As Christians, we can get so far down that it takes a friend to rescue us. That's part of what we see in Luke 10 this morning in our episode. Let me read the story to you. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So, in this passage, we'll learn that Jesus' disciples learn from the Word of God, not just when it's convenient, but as a first priority. Not just when it's convenient, but as a first priority. And Luke presents this famous story of Mary and Martha as a way of highlighting two different approaches. In verses 38 to 40, worldly priorities are put on display in the way Martha handles the situation. And in verses 41 to 42, Spiritual priorities get commissioned or commended by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this section of Luke, this very short section that began um, in uh, chapter 10, verse 25, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then it continues through our section today and actually into the instructions on prayer next week, it's really a sampling that Luke is giving us of Jesus' teachings about what it means to be one of his followers. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, here are three things that you can look at. One is how to look at your neighbor. Uh, looking to Jesus is what we're talking about today, and then finally looking to God in prayer in chapter 11. Well, today we're going to learn about sitting at his feet as his disciples. And the first observation that we have uh, has to do with worldly priorities being put on display. And Martha receives Jesus in verse 38, but then she complains to Jesus in verses 39 to 40. So the storyline begins in verse 38. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, so Jesus and his disciples are traveling again. Remember back at the Gospel of Luke sort of breaks at the end of chapter 9, 
and Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. And it's going to take him a long time to get there because he's got a lot of ministry to do. But of course, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to accomplish salvation, which is the purpose for which he came. But Jesus and his disciples are traveling again. It's typical for them. They're going to need hospitality somewhere. And in this particular village is Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. And Mary and Martha are there. They're sisters of Lazarus. Um, all three of them are close friends of Jesus. And perhaps he visited them before. It's very likely he had. And it's often suggested that since it's Martha who actually greets Jesus, that it's probably uh, she's the older one, and it's her house, um, and she's unmarried. But you know, in John chapter 11, Jesus would visit them again. Do you remember that story in John chapter 11, the story about Lazarus? Jesus is told of Lazarus being ill, and he gets delayed, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus has an important theological discussion with the sisters in John chapter 11, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead very dramatically, and many, many people believe in Jesus. Many people want to kill him, too. And then in John chapter 12, Jesus would be eating with the three of these, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus again, about a week before his crucifixion, and that's when Mary would anoint Jesus for the work that he was about to accomplish, where he would give his life upon that cross to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, Martha then complains to Jesus in verses 39 to 40 and says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. Now, so Luke is very briefly explaining the actions of Mary and Martha and deliberately showing uh, contrast. So Mary, you notice already, is listening at the Lord's feet, seated as a disciple of his. This is pretty significant, actually, in the gospel writings because women at this time and culture were not allowed to be in this position, typically, to be a disciple of a rabbi. But Jesus allowed it. And Luke has already told us about this earlier, and now we get a very specific, detailed example in the gospel according to Luke. But back in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, talking about Jesus' travels, we read about the importance of them on his team. In Luke 8, 1, it says, And it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city to the village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, uh, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So he had uh, wealthy women who were part of his team as well. And Mary is put forth by Luke as a model disciple in our story this morning for us to pay attention to, uh, to pay very close attention to Mary. She never says a word in the account here. And uh, Jesus is going to use her an example, and Martha as a counterexample. Well, Martha probably wanted to listen to Jesus too, but she was busy, burdened and distracted uh, by her duties as a hostess. And uh, sure, there might be some sibling rivalry here or some personality differences, but the point is, is that Martha has a skewed perspective. Uh, what's really needed in fulfilling her hospitality duties at the moment, this day, uh, has already been fulfilled. She needs to be sitting and listening to Jesus. It seems that she wanted everything to be perfect, too perfect maybe. 
And she's distracted, as it says in our text, by much service. Really, what happened is worldliness grabbed her. Well, she doesn't quite realize it yet, but she will soon enough when Jesus points it out. And she asks the Lord, Jesus, if he even sees and cares what's going on right now. He knows, and so she asks for his help, and she's, she's slaving away for him and his companions, because he wouldn't just travel alone. She's got to make food for all these people, doing, quote, all the serving alone. You see self-righteousness in there? Does this ever happen to you that worldliness could just sort of grab you and your perspective gets askew? And most likely, Mary had already helped, because notice that the text says that she left Martha. So she had helped to the appropriate level. And then she sat at Jesus' feet, which is the right thing to do when you have somebody like Jesus in your house. So she left her sister to listen to Jesus, just like Martha really should have done at this point. Again, Mary says nothing in the story. It's, it's like an earlier story in the Gospel of Luke of the sinful woman who anointed him in chapter 7 in Simon the Pharisee's home. You remember, she was silent. Well, Mary, too, is a silent example and an opportunity for Jesus to make comments and to teach us. We're to look at Mary and listen as Jesus interprets the situation for us. And Jesus is going to use this situation to make a very significant point, one that would be remembered by his disciples forever one that actually makes it into Scripture, about priorities in our life as Christians. You see, Martha is misfocused at this time, this particular day, this particular experience, but Mary has the right focus. Now, we have to be careful not to overread one incident as if it illustrates the whole of a person's life and character. I mean, you wouldn't want to be treated that way, would you? Just one incident? And all of a sudden, it makes it in the history books. Well, too bad for Martha. But here it is. But you don't want a people, at least a particular day, she made the wrong choice um, at this point. So Martha's wrongly burdened because of her priorities being misaligned. And so she adds these burdens to herself that really aren't requirements on her. And she doesn't even really realize that herself. And and notice the result of what happens when your priorities are out of whack is that she actually sees what Mary's doing as wrong and what she's doing as right. She, Martha even speaks to Jesus as if he's supporting wrong behavior. Jesus should be supporting her because she's doing the right thing, supposedly, in her mind. So, see, the distractions of life and even good service, if they're allowed, serving can be harmful to our spiritual health if it's misfocused, if the priorities are off. And in fact, another thing it can do is it can cause our relationships with other brothers and sisters to be wrong. And we can accuse them of things that they shouldn't be accused of. Maybe you found that to be true, too. You see, worldly priorities and perspectives are put on display here this particular day in this particular episode with Martha. We, and just like her, we can be too busy even with good things and miss out on the best things and even become bitter toward our brothers and sisters in Christ because we serve more. And we need to see, we need to know when to serve and how much to serve 
and when we should stop and learn. And our tendency is to put off the learning and be absorbed in the doing. That's true for all of us, I think. But truly, it can be a challenge at times. You know, it's not always easy, as we know. And we have to confess that we're not always as wise as Mary. And sometimes we fail like Martha in the story. And when we do fail, you know, it's good to have this passage to go to because we see how Jesus deals with Martha very gently and tells her basically to get perspective. That's something we all need to hear at times, and Jesus is always right when he speaks. And Jesus' disciples, as Luke is telling us through this passage, are going to always be learning from the Word as first priority, not just when it's convenient, not when they've fulfilled all the things that they think they need to do. Jesus' disciples want to learn from him, not just when they have to because they're urgent and they need some spiritual shot in the arm, not when they get everything done, not when they get back from doing things, but if this is the core of who we are as a disciple of Jesus, it needs to be the first and utmost priority in our life every single day we live, is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him, from the scriptures that we have. Well, the second observation we have are about the spiritual priorities that are commended in verses 41 to 42 in contrast to the display of the worldly perspective by Martha. So this is really the main reason the story is here, right? I mean, the, the disciples remember this experience, and, and uh, it's in Luke because of this. It's a major lesson on discipleship, and it applies to all of us every day. So Jesus corrects Martha in verse 42, or 41, and then he commends Mary in verse 42, and he simply says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, notice, first of all, you probably already noticed this, this is the third time in this really short paragraph that Jesus is called Lord. That's on purpose by Luke, because Jesus is our Lord. That's part of his point. Jesus rules over our lives, and what he teaches us is authoritative. And he is our Lord. He is our master. And Jesus shows compassion toward Martha right away. He doesn't uh, go after her. But it's in the scene in the gentle repeating of her, of her name. And, and in appreciating, he even says, for so many things. He's appreciative of everything she's done. And she's doing this service for him and for his disciples that are in his group. But he also points out that she's overwhelmed. She's stressed out. She's brought this on herself because she's forgotten how to evaluate what's necessary. You see, how do we evaluate the particular situation? Because if she were thinking spiritually, she'd realize this is the Lord Jesus Christ who is in my house right now. And this, I might do other things for other people. But for Jesus, I ought to be sitting at his feet and listening to him because he has a lot to say. And he's probably going to be traveling on, and who knows when he's going to be back. Now, it can happen to the best of us. Each situation is going to require spiritual discernment that we live our lives in and wisdom. But Jesus is gently putting things in perspective for Martha and everybody that's listening that day. She's missing the important person in her home who's extremely important, and that's Jesus. And it's an unusual opportunity to learn from him right now. And on top of this, Jesus points out that she's getting upset for no good reason. Notice the words he chooses. 
Martha is worried or anxious. You might have either translation. And then the second word, bothered, troubled, upset, are all legitimate translations of the text, which are words specifically chosen to signify worldliness. Being worried and anxious, being bothered, upset, and troubled. Those are not the things that should characterize our life. So simply put, Martha, even as a disciple of Jesus, she's given in to worldly priorities at the moment. And so a few words of caution for us is that if you find yourself anxious about your life constantly, your priorities are probably misaligned. You need to get your perspective back. And if you find yourself critical of other believers, your priorities are probably out of of line again, and you need to get them back in perspective. And if you find yourself drifting from the life of the church, your priorities are probably out of whack, and they're misaligned, and you need to get perspective again. Well, then Jesus commands Mary in verse 42 when he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So in this part, the final words are the most important of our Lord Jesus to focus our thoughts. And now, most versions here, in English versions, are going to have but only one thing is necessary, like I read from the English Standard Version. Meaning, of course, the one thing that's necessary is learning from Jesus. That's the one thing that's necessary, right? But you might have footnotes or a different Bible version that would say things some other versions might have, but only a few things are necessary. Of course, here, that would be the reference to the serving, all the hospitality that's involved, the basics. Only a few of those things are really necessary. And then some other translations sort of bring it all together, and and, uh, probably not the original, but says, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. And so, of course, the emphasis here is just that, yeah, only a few things are necessary in regards to hospitality and serving, but there's really only one if you want to talk about necessity, and that's listening to Jesus and learning from him. So regardless of the text difficulty, which is a very difficult one, the point is clear enough for us this morning that Jesus is making the point that basic food and hospitality would do this time. He didn't need anything else. He's also making the point that One crucial matter of importance is learning from him. That's the one thing that's necessary, like Mary's doing. Jesus is also making the point for all of us through Luke that this is supposed to be the number one priority for all of us as his disciples. Remember the the hasty, hesitant, and half-certain disciples from Luke chapter 9? If you glance back there, Luke 9, 57 to 62. And we looked at those three disciples. It's a very short account. And You read that and you think, man, Jesus is really intense on what he requires of his disciples. And they have these little dialogues with him, and Jesus is very demanding in his discipleship. Again, in this episode, we're being reminded how much Jesus requires of his followers to listen to him and to learn. He requires a lot of listening and a lot of learning from the scriptures. So Martha's commitments on this day at this time are wrong. She's exchanged the spiritual for the worldly. Martha should sit down and relax, and she should join her sister and listen and learn from Jesus. Mary has chosen the better portion, as Jesus said, spending this time with him rather than serving excessively 
And Jesus makes it very clear to Martha, he's not going to do what she requests because she's wrong. He is not going to take away from Mary the best thing by making her go back into the kitchen to serve him and his men. He's not going to make Mary do worldly things to satisfy his sister's criticism. You see, the meal that Jesus is serving up is going to last a lot longer than Martha's food anyway. And that's the meal that the disciples are supposed to be partaking of. See, Luke also has other layers of intent as he writes his gospel account. And one of them we already looked at from Deuteronomy 8. It's a lesson that you find sprinkled all throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. And that's to remind us again of this major lesson from Israel's exodus in the desert in Deuteronomy 8.3. It says that God humbled you, Moses is speaking, and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's where life comes from. That's where sustenance comes from. That's where spiritual strength is going to come from. It's not going to come from getting your life in order. That's not going to give you spiritual strength. Spiritual strength is going to come from time in the Word and time with Jesus and time with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's really where we're supposed to be sitting at the feet of Jesus and devouring his teaching. So spiritual priorities and perspective are commended here uh, of Mary by Jesus in contrast with Martha. It's of utmost importance to stay close to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As we read in the Psalm 73 earlier this, this morning, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion, my inheritance, forever. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. You want to experience goodness in your life from God? Stay near to him. That's where it will come from. And you think about, you know, some of these most basic discipleship lessons that we teach people. It's scripture and prayer are sort of the foundation, we would say, of a new believer growing in Christ. I mean, think about the last time maybe you discipled a new believer, and when we train them and teach new believers how to have a devotional life or a quiet time or whatever you use for that phrase, time where you spend with the Lord, just you and Him in His Word and in prayer, it's really important. And one of the lessons that I've used over the years is to just simply take them through Psalm 119, the longest psalm, but it just enumerates all the blessings that come into our life because of time we spend in the Word. And there's dozens of them there. And then, of course, I always teach new believers 1 Peter 2.2 and make them memorize it, which is, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. That's how you're going to grow up in your salvation. That's how you're going to get beyond immaturity. That's how you're going to get beyond spiritual puberty, which it seems so many Christians are arrested in that stage of their spiritual development these days. It takes time in the Word and in prayer. And, you know, it might be a good time to review some of these things for yourself, but Jesus' disciples learn from the Word, not just when it's convenient, not when we're done with all of our other duties, but we learn from the Word as a first priority before we enter the duties. And above all those duties, that's where we spend our time first. 
Well, Luke is making a very significant point about discipleship. That's who we are, followers of Jesus. That's what we want, to be better followers of Jesus. Um, in his gospel account, he makes this point very strongly again. And through the worldliness of Martha that one particular day, the spirituality of Mary that one particular day, and the church has been blessed with this passage of Scripture ever since to teach us how to be better and more faithful followers of Jesus. Jesus himself here teaches how to live as his disciple, to learn from his word constantly. So think about your typical day and your week and how it plays itself out. How much time do you spend in the word and in prayer? When do you do it? Um, How much? What do you do? There are no rules. But what do you do? How much time? And do you need a plan? If you need a plan, I'd be happy to help you develop a plan for your life in this area. And what would you say is the pattern month after month with your time in the Word and in prayer? You know, you could actually track it. You know, I remember ministering to college students many, many years ago. We would print out a sheet, one page, has every single hour for the whole week on it. And you just sort of need to log for a couple weeks what you do. And you realize, oh, well, you're getting a little too much sleep there. You probably should wake up earlier. It's like uh, you're not getting to the gym. You're you know, getting a little pudgy. You know, so whatever it might be. Oh, your time in the Word. Okay, how much time are you spending there? How much time are you studying? Maybe you studied too hard for that test. Maybe it would have been better to spend some time with the Lord. But the thing is, if you track it, then you actually have real numbers to look at. And you can see and make your own assessment. Is that good for you? Is it not good for you? And so think through it. And then you can realize whether or not you're living more of a Mary-like pattern in your life or a Martha-like pattern. And sometimes we do live as Martha, sometimes we live as Mary. Hopefully we're growing to be more Mary-like and, and less Martha-like. But we need, to, we need to balance all these realms of life that we have to juggle, really, right? We all have work, we all have family, we all have church, we all have many other things in our life that we have to constantly be, be uh, giving attention to. And we have to learn to do all these things well, but the only way we're going to be able to do them well is by having spiritual perspective, by creating crafting, embedding into our life a pattern where we spend time and in the Word and in prayer because that's going to give us perspective. So that when we have to juggle all these other things, they're not going to constantly be a burden weighing on us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we must not let our busyness keep us from the word and spiritual pursuits. And when we think, I don't have time, we have to choose that which is the best. And when we think about our days and how often we really do need the right perspective because life is full of just absolute craziness and stress, we know the solution is to have spiritual perspective. But you know, you can't just make it up on the spot. You can't conjure it up by quoting some Bible verse that somehow it's going to just come out of you. It's a pattern of living and a habit of being before the Lord and being strengthened by Him. 
and that's what will give you what you need for your daily tests. And by the way, this is a foundational lesson that we've been talking about today. Oh, it's extremely simple. There could not be a simpler message today than this one. But it's something that we really need to model for our children. And for those of you who are grandparents, you can model it for your grandchildren. It makes a big difference. My mother was probably the strongest spiritual influence in, one, in our fourth daughter's life because of her habits and the conversations that she had. And it makes a big difference what you model for your children and your grandchildren. But the Lord has first claim on our time. Remember, he's the Lord here, and our priorities as disciples anyway. You don't have first claim on your time. The Lord has first claim on your time. And to spend time with him. And remember, this is not just some bare duty, and if you think of it as like, I'm just trying to whip you into sitting down reading your Bibles, well, then you've got everything really screwed up. Because it's not about a duty, it's about a relationship and making it a powerful and an inviting thing that you would rather do nothing else. You can easily leave things in order to be able to sit and spend time with the Lord. That's why we do it. It's not because we have to do it, or somebody makes us do it, or because I have to report to my disciple maker, or I have to report to my Bible study, all these things I did, or I have to report to the pastor, I really don't care, okay? So it's between you and the Lord. You're going to have to figure it out, okay? You don't have to report to anybody. You do it because you love Jesus, and you want to be closer to him. And if we can get our spiritual priorities correct in the Word of God, it's going to keep us in a spiritual perspective constantly as we live our days out. Well, this is that enduring lesson from that day when Martha and Mary hosted Jesus in their home. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we adore you as our wonderful, beautiful Savior this morning. The eternal Son of God, who left glories of heaven to become incarnate, enfleshed, to live out our experience, our pain, our stress, to live it out perfectly and give us a righteousness that we could never earn, and to ultimately offer yourself as the perfect, unblemished sacrifice in our place on the cross, that we could be right with God forever. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for this work. We praise you for your scriptures that you've preserved and given to your church and, and the lessons that we learned this morning from your interactions with Mary and Martha, two very loved disciples of yours. And we pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning. I pray that no one would leave discouraged or uh, feel necessarily guilty, unless of course they are, but that you would bless us and encourage us and draw us into a deeper a more meaningful, more inviting, more satisfying relationship with you, and that you would prove that to us this week. We pray these things for your glory and your church. Amen.